come, risen Lord, and deign to be our guest. For if you are with us, nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. So be with us, we pray, and all for your love's sake. Amen. Good morning. I invite you to consider the theme of this Sunday, an extension of last Sunday, when we celebrated the Feast of All Saints, an occasion to remember and find our place among the saints past, present, and yet to come, all in light of the Easter promise that Christ is risen, and when this life is over, so too will we rise with Christ to join the saints in light. Today, we particularly honor the veteran saints among us who have given of themselves to serve this country in each branch of the military, men and women, black and brown and white, millennials and members of the greatest generation, active, retired, and reserved from all walks of life. We are grateful for you, and we commend you. We do so not to glorify war and violence. As followers of Jesus Christ, our first allegiance and citizenship belongs not to any earthly entity, but to the kingdom of God and to Christ Jesus, who is himself the Prince of Peace. Moreover, there is no earthly vocation that will automatically confer virtue upon any. As a groomsman noted at our wedding, Zach may be the priest, but Michael is the saint. Likewise, in the context of this hour, we honor our veterans not chiefly for their title or occupation or orders, but for their common sacrifice and service, which ultimately points to the very essence of Christian life. Indeed, the great prayer of the church describes the sacred meal we share at this altar as nothing less than a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So this morning, as we surround ourselves with language and imagery and living models of sacrifice and service, I'd like for us to take some time to consider what will our citizenship in God's kingdom cost us? And what is the nature of the sacrifice and service to which we are called? In our gospel from Luke, Jesus engages the latest in a series of conversations with his religious detractors who are seeking to entrap him through their clever interrogation. Today, he meets a group of religious leaders known as the Sadducees, Jewish temple officials who, out of a strict understanding and reverence for the Torah, do not believe in a resurrection. Then and now, this is neither an uncommon nor radical assertion either within religious communities or among those with no religion. Well before I came to All Saints, I once interviewed for a priest job at a lovely Episcopal church in which the Sadducees might have felt very at home. It was in a different part of the country, one that is far ahead of Atlanta in terms of secularization, And it was quickly apparent that I was not going to work out for them. It was situated in a vibrant neighborhood. They had a strong desire to grow. 
but they were clearly not satisfied with my answer when asked how I would accommodate the large percentage of their Sunday morning congregation who they said had no real interest in following Jesus or being Christian. You see, it was a parish filled with highly intellectual and accomplished and sophisticated people, some of them now retired. And what many of them shared in common was the experience of having left behind their childhood faith, but without quite seeming to be able to shake that habit of going to church. Acquired through the duress of parental obligation in decades past. So, you see, to me, this, this is an increasingly irrelevant question. That is to say, most young people who don't want to be Christian generally don't show up for church on Sunday mornings. Gone are the days when anyone is expected to. Thus, I suspect most who do show up for church and most of you have at least a faint curiosity about who this Jesus is and what it might mean to follow him. So perhaps I could have been more tactful when I suggested in so many words that the problem they were raising and the question they were asking would eventually die off with those who were asking it. (laughs) And that is how the Lord led me to all saints. To be sure, there continue to be real, tangible benefits to religious participation writ large. Social support, a place of belonging and meaning and purpose, opportunities to serve the wider community. Some scientific studies even suggest that involvement in religious life may be correlated to improved mental and physical health and, yes, even a longer lifespan. Nevertheless, many are finding equal benefits through participation in the modern religiosity of brunch and yoga, soul cycle and sports leagues, farmers markets and 12-step groups on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. My friends, AA does not have an attendance problem right now. And so isn't it peculiar that even among the most devout churchgoers, myself included, There so often seems to be a resistance embracing with any enthusiasm the possibility of the one thing that no one else but Jesus can promise us. Nothing less than resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. Both spiritually in this life and physically, Scripture tells us in the life to come, when our very bodies will be raised and we will see our God face to face. If we're honest, on some level, I think most of us think we're really just way too smart for all of this stuff. Too sophisticated for childish fantasies. And I am not disparaging the integral place of intellect and doubt within the context of a healthy and mature faith. But I also believe it is often precisely in our doubt and denial of God's resurrection power and possibility that we can bump right up against our own hypocrisy. Because despite our professed collective and individual skepticism, 
the quest for resurrection rages on within and without. People are hungry for a little resurrection. Today, this yearning for immorality is inscribed in the vocabulary of foundation and legacy, taking the form of building names and scholarships. And there's nothing wrong with that. See Ellen after church if you want to sign up for the Cornerstone Foundation. On a consumer level, it may simply manifest in the appeal of never-ending shelves upon shelves of anti-aging products, promising us everlasting youth and vitality. For the Sadducees of Jesus' day, a man's legacy could only be ensured through the birth of a son. Hence the absurd scenario of seven brothers to one wife. And while their questioning of Jesus is intended to trip him up, it also reveals a deeper concern, that universal desire not to be forgotten. The biblical law regarding the care of a deceased brother's wife and children was intended to prevent the woman from becoming destitute in a society with zero opportunity otherwise. However, the Sadducees, notorious for their lavish lifestyles, which insulated them from many of the struggles of everyday life, reduced this biblical law and tradition to a crass joke, one founded on the treatment of the woman as property, useful only to perpetuate the male name and lineage in a patriarchal society. But despite the Sadducees' ulterior motive, notice Jesus' gracious and earnest response as he tells of a promised resurrection in a future age where all the terms of the Sadducees' riddle will be reframed, when none will be married or given in marriage. And I know that's good news for some of you. In this age that Jesus speaks of, a woman's place is not determined by her status as wife to a husband or widow or mother. No, her place is reserved for her simply because she is a child of God. Jesus goes on to recall Moses' encounter at the burning bush as a sign of this resurrected life. As Moses speaks of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, not in the past tense, but in the present. The God, not of the dead, but of the living. Foreshadowing the angel messengers at Jesus' tomb, who will later ask those fearful women disciples, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. In a world that chases after life and immortality in all the wrong places, our invitation this morning is to offer the whole of our lives to the one who is the true source of abundant and everlasting life as we give our whole selves in service to the only kingdom that will endure. In this kingdom, all are alive to God, each one remembered, each one treasured, not on the basis of material wealth or marital status, not on account of earthly titles or heirs, nor on the basis of gender or occupation, race or religion, 
nor for any reason other than God's eternal claim on our lives, yours and mine. At baptism, we die to a life lived for self alone and are enlisted by God and the church for a life of service to this kingdom. As we are charged to seek and serve Christ and all persons, striving for justice and peace on the earth. This baptized, resurrected kingdom life calls for real and tangible sacrifices, to be sure. Just as Jesus reframes the Sadducees' riddle to restore dignity to the wife of the seven brothers, so too does Christ call us for a continual reordering, reorienting, refocusing of our relationships, our priorities, our time, talents, and treasure towards the things that really matter. The funny thing is that the more we begin to take Jesus at his word, the more we are given eyes to see glimpses of resurrection, the more we are graced and plagued with the terrifying thought that all this God stuff might just be real. Well, the more questions we will have about God's presence in the world now and in the age to come. What will our relationship to former spouses look like when we all get to heaven? Asked the remarried widow. What of our beloved animals that we love more than most humans to begin with? Asked the child. And why does God allow bad things to happen to really good people in the here and now? We all want to know. These are natural and valid questions. Perhaps among the greatest sacrifices fate demands of us is that of our own certainty. As we hand over the mysteries of our lives to be swept up into the great mystery of God, not in blind faith, but out of an abundance of trust in the God, not of the dead, but of the living, revealed to us through the company and courage of fellow saints of God. For what will our citizenship in this kingdom cost us? Ultimately, everything. But not all at once. Until we meet our maker, we come together at this altar Time and again to pray and give, sing and feast our way, little by little, one step at a time, even further into the great mystery of God and the resurrected life. Let us pray. Lord, may we not look for love's return, but seek to love unselfishly. For in our giving we receive and in forgiving are forgiven. In dying we live and are reborn through death's dark nights to endless day. Lord, make us servants of your peace to wake at last in heaven's light.